The fourth regular meeting in the Bedford City Council will now come to order. Clerk Ernabees, please call the roll. Councilor Bears. Present. Vice President Caraviello. Present. Councilor Knight. Present. Councilor Marks. Present. Councilor Morrell. Present. Councilor Scarpelli. Present. President Falco. Present. Seven present. At this time, could everyone please rise to salute the flag? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. On the motion of Council Knight to suspend the rules to take a paper out of order, seconded by Councilor Carviello. All those in favor? All those opposed? The motion passes. Councilor Knight. Uh, Mr. President, I'd move to take paper 2013 out of order. This was a paper that was before the Council previously. We sent it back to the Mayor with request for amendment, um, and it has come back as the Council amended it. I'd like to uh, ask a representative from the Administration to come up and just give us a brief synopsis of uh, the paper that's before us, and uh, then hopefully move for a vote. Thank you, Council Knight. If we could please have uh, a representative from the administration, if we could please have your name and address for the record, please. Alicia Nunley Benjamin, Finance Director for the City of Medford. Good evening, Honorable Councillors. Um, the home rule petition before you is to create a special revenue fund for our casino money, which was amended now to be by appropriation by this honorable body. Uh, Mr. President, I do believe, Mr. President, that the special revenue fund was a recommendation that was made by the Division of Local Services from the Department of Revenue um, to establish generally accepted accounting practices on how to spend the funds that come with these host community agreements and uh, community impact agreements. Um, based upon the language that's been provided to us and the review of the language that was provided to us previously, previously it seems as though everything's in order and the recommendations of the Council have been adopted by the administration. Uh, as such, I move for approval of the paper. Thank you, Council. The first Knight. reading. On the motion no, no, it's actually a home rule petition. It's going to legislature. Excuse me, Council. Uh, Council, can you repeat that, please? Um, it's a home rule petition, so it will go to the legislature. Yes. Okay, on the motion of Council tonight, seconded by Council Scarpelli. Clerk Herdebees, please call the roll. Councilor Bears. Yes. Vice President Caraviello. Yes. Councilor Knight. Yes. Councilor Marks. Yes. Councilor Morrell. Yes. Councilor Scarpelli. Yes. President Falco. Yes, seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. The motion passes. Wait, if I may, uh, really quick, uh, Council Marks, Clerk Herdebees. Uh I have the paperwork for you to sign the petition, so I just want you to sign the petition before we, if we can do that before advancing to further business. Okay, okay. that's acceptable to Council. Yes. Okay. Yes, we can. Second.
Right, if we could please, uh, the clerk will need that back to. Need back to the city seal. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, well, we're under suspension. Petitions, presentations, and similar papers. 20-048, petitioned by Robert M. Penta, Zero Summit Road, Medford, Massachusetts, Medford, Massachusetts, 02155.0. To speak on the city's zoning and discuss city's finances, if we could please have your name and address for the record, please. Good evening. My name is Robert Penta, Zero Summit Road, and a former member of this August body. I come here tonight um, to make some comments on issues that I feel are important as it relates to this upcoming budget. From what I understand, this administration, um, and I know the Chief of Staff is here, uh, he can uh, reflect upon the fact that there, you guys are, and lady are going to get an early budget this year, earlier than normal, if that's true, I don't know, is it true? So he says we hope so. With that being said, and with two new counselors on the board, I, I would just like to uh, re reflect upon a couple of things as it relates to what really has not been addressed for the past few months. First of all, um, going back to um, last year at some point in time regarding the Lawrence Memorial Hospital, we never got a report back from the auditor's office as it relates to the outpatient surgical offices that are going to be housed in the old Lawrence Memorial Hospital as part of an addendum to the 16,000 square foot building that the Lawrence Memorial Hospital is going to have their surgical center at. And with that being said, um, again, it's just out there floating around not knowing uh, what's going to happen because they haven't made a decision. Second of all, uh, it's the taxing of the nonprofit funeral portion of the operation at the Gaffey Funeral Home, which houses the um, Islamic Cultural Center here in Medford and where they're going to be running a funeral business out of that center once again it presents itself as a for-profit business within the non-profit structure itself again no answer has come back on that as of yet and these are issues that I think need to be discussed and, and, and resolved before or at least during your budget also let's go back to something that uh, Council Caviello when he first came on to the council talked about the disrepair of the schools, uh, at that point in time, uh, Council Caviello indicated during his first term, it was $1.2 million of school repairs. We're now in excess of $1.5 million of school repairs, and we're getting ourselves right into the same position. I shouldn't say ourselves. The city is getting itself into this position of why we had to build new schools in the first place. If the upkeep is not going to be taking place, there is something wrong with that. The building of a new police station, Contained within the building of the new police station, it's 5,000 square feet less than what was asked for. There is no police re uh, firing range that it's for qualification. But more importantly, the sad part about the whole thing, no police vehicle is going to be able to be housed internally. They're all going to be outside. And by doing that, all you're doing is leaving all your public service vehicles open to the elements. So if there's a snowstorm or whatever it might be, every police officer is going to have to go out there and take the snow off it. And you try to explain that to the people of this community and you tell them that you're spending close to $20 million for a new police station, but you have no place to house or at least care for, care for your police cruisers. A very important issue that seems to be lost in the, in the weeds is the, at present, if not more, a $29 million unfunded pension liability that needs to be paid by 2029. That is yet to be discussed. Also, 
what needs to be addressed right now also is a citywide, it's called the citywide home water meter battery replacement program. Now for those of you that have a house and you know when you get your water and sewer bill, uh, the, the system was put in well over 10 years ago with meters that were only good for 10 years. The 10 years have come and gone, that's a cost factor and that's a replacement that needs to be, take place. We still have yet to receive a cost projection for a new fire station as to where it will be, when it will be, and what it will cost. There is no projections out there. And still outstanding is the new training tower that was promised it would be built before the old one was taken down. Well, the old one has been taken down, and now nothing has been put up. And in fact, it does affect, in the city of Medford, your home insurance rates. There's no financial outline as to how the city's annual free cash should be prioritized. For the new councils coming on board, for the last few many years, it's almost a million dollars each and every year the city of Medford has left over, and it just goes into free cash. So that presents itself with one or two arguments. Number one, the budget is either not accurate, or number two, that million dollars is maybe not correct when the budget is being voted upon at the time. So therefore, to me, it makes very good sense because a lot of cities and towns do this. You folks pass a budget in May or June, let's call it June, that should be the time you set your tax rate, not six months later. So if you do that, you're working on an actual annual budget that reflects upon that vote that took place in June that represents itself to each and every dollar itemized. Also, a Public Works five-year projection program that covers our streets, our sidewalks, our tree stumps, our equipment, our water repairs issues, and cemetery, as well as all personnel that's going to be needed to address that. That would be a great program to have because number one, we're already understaffed and we're hiring a measly just two more people to work in the highway department that just basically on a daily basis is so understaffed and undermanned. Lastly, for the purposes of at least this portion of the discussion, two points. And I know Councilor Caviello once again had asked for this and Councilor Marks, you've asked for this. You should get a five-year financial recap from Park Medford on all the receipts taken in and what has been given to the city of Medford. I guarantee you none of you have received anything from Park Medford as it relates to that financial responsibility. And lastly, Council Marks, you brought this up, yet to be determined where and for what reasons has the $500,000 from Tufts University been accounted for? You still don't know, we still don't know. Now moving over to the housing issue. And here's, here's an issue right now that's for, in the forefront of everything as to what's going on. So let's just mention a few little things that are going on. Right now what we have on the books are 185 units that are coming online after Wendy's on Middlesex Ave. You have 300 plus units opposite the Wellington Station. You have a proposed 400 Chapter 40B units next to the Middlesex Courthouse on Mystic Valley Parkway. And looking at the smaller neighborhood issue that took place on Forest Street with a private developer wanting to maximize a single-family residence to a multi-family use zone, that caused a tremendous amount of consternation not only to the neighborhood, but to the Memphis Historical Commission. Going back, you go to 61 Toro Street where you had an old magnificent home over there for which Tufts University was involved. And they sort of like wanted to take advantage of the property. But through the neighborhood pushing back, that didn't take place. 
Right now, as of tomorrow night, you're going to have before the Board of Appeals where the old Titan gas station is on Boston Avenue and Harvard Street, a condominium proposed development. And then you have rumored development of a new condos behind the Middlesex Avenue Mall. Once again, a rumored development of 30 plus condos on South Street. And a rumored Boston Avenue multi-housing development. Then, at the end of last summer, 500 multi-use development was proposed by combined properties of Malden. And after a large community opposition, led by then City Councilor and now Mayor Lungo Kern, as well as Gene Nuzzo and Cheryl Rodriguez, the project was forced to be scrapped by the developer. Now, some six months later, this same company, Combined Properties, is now proposing a 37, 378 residential unit, and the application for approval is coming along under a Chapter 40B proposal, entirely different than what they originally had. The real wake-up call to this whole issue right now on housing here in the city of Medford should have taken place at 61 Locust Street, the massive development that is opposite Wegmans right now, which was originally scheduled for over 500 units, and they've culled it down to 345. Neighborhood protests pushed it back. But as in any big business development, what did they do? They went into the neighbors that were pushing back, and they bought every single home over there for them to at least come back with 345 and still make the money that they're going to be made. As I said some years ago, and as I said during this past campaign, the city of Medford needs to embark on a moratorium. A moratorium on its zoning, and more importantly, a complete review of its zoning here in the city of Medford. And the reason why the moratorium would work is because our zoning has not been reviewed for a multitude of years. So you're saying to any proposed developer that comes in, I will propose this affordable housing, which is not the same as a Chapter 40B, because remember, affordable housing is something that's um, which compensated in part or given great latitude by state laws, whereas a Chapter 40B is a private independent entity coming in there. So sure, they'll give you their affordable housing, but they'll back in the cost on the remaining units that are in the building. So how does that qualify and justify for an affordable housing process? I, I, I don't know. But also, you should be looking into a, what they call a growth, growth management proposal. And the reason why I, I say that is because we have right here in our own city, a sister city. It's called Malden, Massachusetts. And in 2015, they put a question on the ballot. And their ballot question revolved around what you have been talking about, Council Facco, the Malden Hospital, what we're going to do with it. The second thing is the Community Preservation Act. What are we going to do with that as far as open space? And their third question was a moratorium on high-density, multi-level development. It won by 71% of the vote. And they had a moratorium proposal that passed, and it went from January of 2016 to December of 2017. Now incorporated into that <coughs> was the density of the immediate neighborhood taken into consideration, the height, the number of units, as well as the zoning exemptions that were being challenged. And as a result of that, 
they have now, uh, I think if you go to Malden, you can be able to see, if you look at the development office, I don't know if they call it Office of Community Development, they do have a serious situation where they had developers just coming in all over the place. Medford has a serious problem in having a workable business community, a business development community. Approximately 10.2% of the business in this community is commercial. Who bears the rest of that brunt? It's the residential. And I know every time when you folks turn around and do your budget, you talk about a residential factor, making it the highest or the lowest for whatever it might be, you're still putting the burden on the taxpayer who owns his residential home. And you're not taking the exemption for the out-of-state person. So with that being said, and if we continue to go on this road, or this, or this, how can you say, this road, so to speak, of not increasing our commercial base, all you're going to do is just going to be commercial, I mean raising in the future your residential rate. Now, after what took place in Malden, and after what took place after that, we can, we can switch ourselves over to the city of... Mr. Patrick, you have one minute, okay? Remaining. Yeah. Just want to let you know. You want somebody else to talk? No, you have 10 minutes. You have 10 minutes. You have oh, 10 oh, minutes oh. just about up. I okay, I'm on, well, I'm on my I last page. I'm on my last page. Yep, no okay. problem. Thank you. So, after Malden, beside Malden, in 2015, the city of Revere, and again in 2018, put that question of a moratorium, high-density, multi-use positions over there. And their situation over there revolved itself around large-scale buildings, traffic, public safety schools, and roads were going to be at issue. And the claims that, we re that Revere was not growing geographically, but rather becoming more dense without any economic development is just like what's going on right here in our city of Medford. And with that being said, that the challenge for affordable housing in Chapter 40B, as we speak today, would be the luxury of using our at present zoning laws and skirt around the real issue of reasonably priced housing and rental. There are two or three companies in this, in this United States that take into effect low moderate housing, veterans, middle income people, but not high end middle income people middle-income people, and that's a determination by a professional. We don't have that expertise over here, and I know on the ballot here tonight on the, our agenda there's a question regarding Chapter 40B, but if you really look at just Chapter 40B and you realize that developer is not there to lose money and he's putting housing in a densely populated area, you're violating all the, the, all, all the reasoning of why a, neighbor, a neighborhood should be a neighborhood. And, and as a result of that, moratoriums does not have to go on the ballot. A moratorium can be placed by this council, by this mayor, or jointly together. And recognizing the fact, and recognizing the fact, we are a city just, just running, allowing housing to be any place and everywhere at any time. And because of that, that's not good. That's not healthy for the neighborhood. As I said before a long time ago, development for the sake of development isn't the best thing that can happen in this city. We have schools, we have public safety, we have public works. We have a whole host of issues that taxpayers have to increasingly pay for. And our best example of that is when they talked about stations landing, that they said at that point in time that was going to lower our tax rate. Well, the tax rate has never gone down once since station landing. As a matter of fact, it just continuously goes up. I'd be more than happy to answer any questions, but I just think it's important to have brought this up, especially for our two new councils, but more importantly for all seven of you. Because this administration, and you as a new council, needs to address issues uh, that, basically, uh, that basically address these matters. They haven't been addressed, and they need to be addressed. And you just can't sit here and say, okay, we'll get to it someday. Because someday, someday has already come. 
So with that being said, Mr. President, um, I Larry, could you, um, I made copies of my comments for all of your counselors, so you can, um, so in case you missed anything. You know, the part that I appreciated the most when I served on this board for 36 years was the fact that I was willing to hear opposite view viewpoints. But when it comes to finances, two and two equals four. And when it comes to neighborhoods, the people who live in the neighborhood should come first. Not out-of-towners, not developers who want to come in there and make a whole bunch of money and then leave us. Perfect example is Lumineer on Locust Street. They built the building. They said they were going to stay there. They went to the Board of Appeals to get what they had to. And one year later, they sold off the building and made $62 million at the expense of the Medford taxpayer. So with that being said, Mr. President, I thank you for listening. And if there's any questions, I'd be more than happy to answer them. Thank you, Mr. Penta. Uh, any questions from the council? Any questions? Can I ask you a question? That guy there looks like Ted Cruz. <laughs> he's, he's got a new addition. <laughs> uh, thank you, Mr. Penta. If we could please have your name and address for the record, please. Yes, thank you, Mr. President. My name is John Storella, and I reside at, on Metcalf Street here in Medford. I just want to give you uh, my idea of what the uh, what uh, Council Penta referred to free cash, and I want to give you my idea of what free cash is, and I'd like to know whether or not you agree with me. I see free cash as a slush fund. I mean, when we pass, say, for instance, an expenditure, we always overestimate it. And that's done intentionally, because what is left over from the over, overestimate is put into free cash. And that sits there. And when the council or any councilor needs a special project, we pay for it out of free cash, and it passes easily because it's free. What do you think of that, Mr. President? What, I, I think what do you think of I think that? The name is horrible that they call it free cash. <laughs> Nothing's free. I mean, I, I, I disagree with the name of it, without a doubt. But is, is that the purpose of free cash, to have a slush fund? I, I, I wouldn't think so, no. Well, that's where you get your money when you, when you have mm -hmm. a project later on in the term. You take it right out of free cash, and no one objects to it because it's free. Quote, unquote. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you. Any other questions? Okay. Council and Knights. Restricted available funds used to supplement the budget. Yep. By definition, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Correct. Motion to receive and place on file. On the motion of council tonight, seconded by Councilor Scott Pelly to receive and place on file. All those in favor? All those opposed? The papers received and placed on file. On the motion of council Scott Pelly to revert to the regular order of business. Seconded by Councilor Beers. All those in favor? All those opposed? The motion passes. 20-042 offered by Councilor Morell. Whereas the city of Medford currently exercises the local option for tax deferments in accordance with Mass General Law, Chapter 59, Chapter 5, Paragraph 41A, and whereas the upper income limit set by the city of Medford for eligible residents 65 and over is $20,000 per year. 
be a resolve that the Memphis City Council discuss raising the income limit to better reflect the cost of living and housing in Medford. Councilor Morrell. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, so I do apologize. So the current minimum for Medford is actually 40,000. Um, in a last session, this body uh, adjusted the interest rate and also at some point, <laughs> that cap was adjusted. Um, I found some pages on the website that need to be updated with the current cap. Um, but even at that level of $40,000 for the income cap, uh, Medford still lags behind uh, surrounding cities in this state program. Um, so for people that don't know, this is a state program um, that Medford takes part in that allows residents who meet certain criteria and are over the age of 65 to defer their property taxes until their house is sold or they pass away. Um, Medford, like every other municipality, has to set an income cap on this and an interest rate. As I said, the interest rate was lower to 5% last session, and I thank the members of this body who helped to pass that. Um, but in regards to the income cap at $40,000, uh, for context, Somerville's limit is $57,000, Cambridge is $53,000, um, and it should be noted that both of these communities have owner-occupied exemptions, which we do not have in Medford. So as far as kind of tools in our tools box to um, help people who need it um, to get relief from their property taxes, we're really limited. So I think it's important that we make sure we're at the highest level allowed by the state so that as many people who do wish to take part in this program can. I think um, I checked with the chief assessor, uh, the city assessor, I believe only two households currently take part in the program. So I understand it's not for everyone with the interest rates and the way the interest rate actually um, changes um, at the time of the owner passing away or being sold. Um, but the state does allow us to raise this cap to the senior circuit breaker tax credit. Um, and I do understand that other communities, rather than having to come back to this income cap time and again, um, they're wording it such that um, this program in their city is for people who meet the requirements um, with income not exceeding the state cap calculated under Clause 41A of Section 5 of Chapter 59. So that's something that as the state adjusts, Medford would adjust along with it. Um, so I'm raising this now, and my motion is to send this to uh, Committee of the Whole in either February or March, so it's something that we can have the city assessor come out and explain to us um, <clears throat> how this program, you know, if more people were to take part in this at this higher income cap or other potential caps, um, how it would just affect cash flow so that we can look at that during budget time as we have um, these meetings hopefully earlier as we discussed already in this meeting. And um, I'd also like to add a beat paper so that when that rate is set, um, this does go up uh, as a notice in the next property tax bill. Um, the uh, deadline to apply for this program is April 1st, so it, it would be hard for this, we can't do it this time around, but knowing when this rate is set, just so people are aware of this program, because it is a program from the state that um, people around the state take part in, and I wanna make sure that Medford residents um, do know about it, so. Thank you. <laughs> if you could, um, if we could just help out the clerk, if you could give him the wording to the B paper. Yep. Just so we. Um, so when this, when we set, or whether we stay with the current cap, or if we pick a new cap, whatever it is, after we have this committee of the whole, that we include a notice um, of this program uh, the next time property uh, tax bills are sent out. Mm -hmm. Okay, 
Uh, would you like to make a comment? Name and address for the record, please. Yeah, William Navar, apartment 1B, um, Med Medford Street. Um, sorry, 108 Medford Street, apartment 1B. I wanted to speak a little bit about this and how it relates to the philosophy of taxation. I wanted to say that uh, land is opportunity and taxes on land are therefore taxes on opportunity. But unlike most taxes, which are only paid when the opportunity is exploited, taxes on land are paid whether the opportunities are squandered or exploited. Taxes on land, therefore, discourage folks buying up land in order to charge a high price to future folks wanting to access the opportunities available on it. Real estate taxes are the only tax I know of in the Commonwealth that tax land at all, and they are therefore the best type of tax collected in this Commonwealth. But those who support taxes on land have, for over 100 years, been thought to be on a mission to tax elderly widows out of their homes. In 1909, Winston Churchill had already heard it a million times. You might not be aware that Winston Churchill supported the form of taxation I've been advocating to you guys. He said then that the personality of the widow has been used to exhaustion. It would be sweating in the cruelest sense of the word, overtime of the grossest description, to bring the widow out again so soon, she must have a rest for a bit. Therefore, since I'm advocating for that form of tax, I feel this is a really good opportunity to rise in support of the deferral programs in the strongest possible terms and support increasing its income limits. This proposal will allow our seniors to age in place and enjoy their homes if that's what they choose not tax widows out of their homes. And this, I should make very clear, I understand, is not a handout of any kind to our seniors. It is not even a social safety net or a form of charity. Seniors are still well incentivized to downsize the, their land use if they wish to leave a larger estate to their heirs. The tax deferrals merely give seniors more flexibility on how to use the assets that they have worked hard to build up over the years by paying their taxes deferred with their property. I hope the seniors who are able to remain in our community under the deferment program will remain allies in my cause for more intensive land use that will provide access to urban opportunities for people of all ages as our city grows. I hope they'll support my cause for higher taxes on land and lower taxes on buildings, and that they'll support my cause for fewer parking mandates. I want to reiterate, in the strongest possible terms, that I support tax deferral programs, and I do not hope for increased land taxes or real estate taxes to tax anyone out of their homes. Thank you. Thank you. Councilor Beers. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, I don't know. possible and also making sure that with only two uh, households using this, I, I mean that might be that people don't want to, it might people be that people don't know that the cap was raised to 40,000 recently. I think there's a lot of information questions there, so um, I, I just strongly support this motion and, and the B paper. Thank you, Councilor Beers. Councilor Knight. Uh, Mr. President, thank you very much. Last term when this council did adopt the uh, increase from 20000 to $40,000, which passed unanimously before the body. Um, we raised a question to the city assessor asking her to conduct a cost analysis and feasibility study of adopting the state maximum. And um, she reported back to us, I believe, right, right around the time we were setting the tax rate, um, that she was still working on that document. Um, so I'd just like to add the paper that the council uh, had adopted back 
in March of 2019, I'm sorry, May of 2019, I believe it was either the 20th or the 28th in that meeting, uh, making that request. Um, and add that uh, to the agenda as part of the discussion, Mr. President, because if we're going to make a decision about uh, this type of issue that's going to have a certain impact on our finances here in the community, um, then at the very least we need to have a feasibility study or cost impact uh, analysis done so that we have an understanding of what impact it's going to have on the bottom line in the community. Well, correct. Thank you, Council Knight. So my motion would be to join that paper. Thank you, Council Knight. Do you want to join? To, to, to include it as part of the meeting. You okay. know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily have to be joined to this paper tonight, but um, okay. when the meeting is conducted, that, that it's conducted when we have the cost analysis and feasibility study. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. Councilor Marks. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. I want to thank uh, Councilor Morell for bringing this up. Uh, I remember last year's discussions, and at the time, I believe it was two or three people that took advantage of the tax deferral program. And at the time when we were discussing uh, of raising the uh, income levels uh, and also lowering uh, the interest rate, uh, we thought by taking a step by lowering it from 8% to 5%, we'd see if we attracted more people. Was that more attractive uh, to people that possibly wanted to do a def uh, deferral? And uh, I think it's too soon to tell now, but over the next several months, we should see if that was somewhat successful. And I agree the next uh, logical step is increasing the income levels. So I agree with that. I also want to put out there that this is one of several programs that seniors could take advantage of. The other program that we have is the State Circuit Breaker uh, Tax Credit Program. And that's been around for a number of years. It's 100% through the state. So it's not a city-run program. And uh, based on how it works is when your tax bill exceeds 10% of your total income, you qualify. So it's 10% of your total income, you qualify this for this, for this particular program. And uh, for uh, the tax year 2019, the amount that you would qualify for is $1,130. So if any senior out there uh, is interested, uh, you have to uh, apply for it when you do your taxes, which are coming up. This is an ideal time to do it. Um, and that's when you would apply for this through the state, and you would have to follow their rules and regulations. But that, that more or less is, uh, in a nutshell, uh, how do you apply for it and wh who's eligible. The other one is the regular statutory exemptions that we have currently in this city right now for, I believe, veterans, disabled, the blind, and also seniors. And there may be another one. I think there may be five or six exemptions. And the one that I'm speaking about, Mr. President, this council back many years ago through my resolution lowered the age from 70 to 65, which actually helped thousands of people take advantage of it, that five-year gap. And that's something I'm proud of that we did many, many years ago uh, to help seniors in this community. Uh, but the senior exemption, Mr. President, um, and this is something we have to look up. It's, it's set up statutorily, so we can't raise the income levels, but we can ask our state delegation, which we ask a lot of things, uh, if they would look at it on a state level, Mr. President, because depending on where you live uh, in Massachusetts, these income levels are way out of whack. So, for instance, uh, your income to be uh, eligible for the senior statutory property tax exemption is... Um, not to exceed $24,758 if you're single, or $37,137 if you're married. 
So those are the two income levels that you can't exceed to be currently eligible for a $1,000 exemption in the city of Method. The one nice thing about this program is we get paid for a portion of what we give an exemption back by the state through our cherry sheets. So we actually get something in back. So actually, we should be promoting this for our seniors. They're getting $1,000, and we're also getting somewhat reimbursed, so we're not fully losing out the 1000 on our tax roll. So it's a win-win for the resident and also for the city, uh, Mr. President. And uh, also, uh, there's the income level I just mentioned. And regarding estates, um, you cannot exceed, if you're single, uh, 40000 in estate uh, revenue um, or, or worth and 55000 for married. And this does not count your domicile. So it does not count where you live. So if you have other assets and so forth that are above the 40000 for single and 55000 that's also another criteria. But this program, uh, I believe hundreds of Method residents, I can't remember the last count, take advantage of this program every year, Mr. President, and count on it because of uh, the way taxes are going up. But as I mentioned at the beginning, $24,000. If someone's making $24,000 and they want to rent in the city of Method, you wouldn't be renting in the city of Method. <coughs> You won't be able to afford anything else but possibly your rent. So, so these numbers are way out of whack. Maybe if you're living out in Fall River or maybe in Springfield, that may swing it for a single person out there. Who knows? Maybe not. But around here it doesn't, Mr. President. And I, I would ask that we as a council, because um, uh, this has been an issue for years, and it does go up incrementally every year. So it went up from last year, it was 24,000, it might have been 24,100 rather than 24,700. So it does go up a certain percentage every year, but it's not enough to, to be eligible to the masses, which I think uh, in, in this day and age we all want to get to uh, because many seniors, like my mother and many other mothers in here, they may be property rich, but they're money poor. They, they don't have the fluidity of having money they have a house that's worth something. They bought it years and years ago, but they don't have the cash to pay for the taxes and everything else that goes up. The cable bill and you name it, everything goes up every year. So these are important things that, uh, you know, uh, seniors that are low income, seniors in our community uh, need to take advantage. And if we can do anything like Councilor Morrell mentioned about increasing uh, the income and asset levels, I, I think we should be promoting that. So I want to thank the Councilor. Thank you, Councilor Marks. Could you please have your name and address for the record, please? Uh, John Storello of Midcap Street. Thank you, Mr. President. And I want to I want to tell uh, Councilor Morrell that I do support your your uh, resolution. And uh, but I would like, if you can, to quantify it for me, as it stands today. I mean, as it's practiced today, can you quantify it? What is it costing? In, in, in other words, <clears throat> well, well, I've heard that only six people are in the program. Mm -hmm. Is that true? I heard I, uh, the number I got from the assessor uh, this week was, was two households. Two. I, be, I beg your pardon? Two. Two. There are only two people in the program? Two households, yeah. Well, what are we talking about here? I mean, the average tax, say, is, is uh, $6,000 a year. 
Now, as I understand, this council morale is a deferment, right? Now, deferment right. means you pay nothing, right? right? It defers the whole cost. Yes. Well, this comes only to, uh, to say, 6000 6000 on an average. $12,000 is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Now, when you shift that, say, for instance, to the rest of the population, pardon me, when you shift that to the rest of the population, uh, that there are 17,000 parcels. You divide the 17,000 into the 12,000, and you get the added cost to the rest of the population of something like a dollar a year. Mm -hmm. This is ridiculous. We're talking about a dollar a year to 17,000 people in the city. They'll gladly pay it. But this amounts to nothing. Actually, when you consider that we have a $183 million budget, right? But we don't spend $183 million, do we? No, we spend more. We spend something like $200 million. And we do that every year. So I don't know why this subject is even brought up because it amounts to nothing, nothing at all. I would like to see it improved. Point of information, Councilor Marks. I, I can hear what uh, Dr. Stroller is mentioning at this point, because there's only two uh, households taking advantage of this. What we're trying to do, doctor, is increase the number of participants by lowering the interest rate from 8 to 5%, making it more attractive, by increasing the income levels to make it more attractive. And by the way, uh, that uh, dollar a piece that you're talking about uh, is has to be realized every year, but we're also getting but we're also getting an interest off this. So the people that are doing the deferment, if you have uh, roughly an $8,000 tax rate, you're going to be paying uh, $400 eventually when you settle up on that every year. So, so really, it, it's going to come back. So it, it's not really paid out by the people that aren't taking the deferment because we're going to get it back through the deferral. But, but what we're trying to do is increase the number of people. So right now, you're right, it's, it's marginal because there's only two people taking advantage. But that's not the intent, to keep it marginal. It is, but even if you increase it by 100%, now you'll have four people on it. <laughs> I mean, this is a ridiculous discussion. So let's dispense with it. Uh, but I do agree with you that when you gave your example about senior citizens who are house rich, but dollar poor. Well, that's the reason I think that this council must definitely put in a tax reduction this year. Now, our tax is, comes to, um, um, my God, my mind is, uh, what, what, what is our tax now? It's, it's, uh, 915. Yeah, well, that, well that's, uh, that's the rate. Uh, but I, 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 was, I was thinking that, that the tax sh sh should be reduced from, uh, oh my God. You see what's 
you guys got to look forward to. <laughs> now, but anyway, our, our tax should be reduced. I, I say to, to 14, like, like we're paying now $18,000. It should be reduced to 14000 And not only that, if we reduce the taxes, now you must consider this. This is very important because you've got to do this before June 30th. Now, we, we know what's going to happen. You're going to be, be presented with a tax on June 29th. You've got to pass it in a hurry. You're not going to consider the only power you have, which is to reduce taxes. But that's what you must do. Because reducing taxes huh, will increase revenue. Now, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But that's what the federal government did, right? The federal government reduced taxes, right? And guess what? Revenue increased because other taxes are paid. When consumers have more money, they spend more money. When they spend more money, that increases other taxes. And that's what will happen to us. So we've got to reduce taxes. And that's the way we'll help people like your mother. If you reduce taxes. Now, this tax reduction is so successful that within the next 90 days, the president is considering reducing federal taxes again. He expects to get more revenue from that. So I hope you consider this very, very carefully. You must not, again, increase taxes. Because when you look at this agenda here, practically every one of these resolutions is a tax increase. Like, for instance, I was talking to one of the counselors here about, about these bins. Well, what he wants to do, he wants to charge a fee for having a bin. That fee is a tax. Here we go again. And that tax translates into revenue. And the council loves the revenue. Because the revenue is how we pay all of, of the 80%, 80, by the way, 80% of our revenue is spent on compensation. The whole thing has to be reconsidered. But believe it or not, as ironic as it sounds, a tax reduction will help the people of Medford. The people of Medford, who we all want to serve, right? And many of us would do it for nothing. We'd be happy to do it for nothing. And we do it. Many of us do that. We give to the people. We don't expect compensation. We don't want to. And, and many people have served. Many people have put their lives at risk. Who would put his life at risk and then want to, and then not even get paid adequately for it? I remember when I was in the service, I was paid $80 as an ensign. And though that $80 was not every week, it was every two weeks. So I was getting $160 a month. I was happy to get it. Thank you. Thank you. Name and address for the record, please. <clears throat> Andrew Castaneda, Cushion Street, East Medford, Massachusetts. Uh, not to put words in uh, my friend, Dr. Starella, in his, in, his, in his repertoire of words, but uh, I think he's implying if you walk the streets, we'll tax your feet. 
because I'm the tax man, quote the Beatles. I want to thank, first of all, I want to thank Councillor Morell, Councillor Marx, and others, and uh, ex-Councillor Penta for bringing up this housing and affordability area, uh, situation that the way I'm comprehending it. And Councillor Marx brought up a good point that uh, I found out about 20 years ago when my mother was doing her income taxes. And uh, he brought up, I believe it's, it's actually called the circuit breaker under the Massachusetts income tax. And a lot of people don't know about this. And believe it or not, some accountants that do taxes don't know about it also. Scary thought, but I've caught a few of them. Um, I believe this, the formula is on a Massachusetts return, it's, uh, they take your real estate tax and your water bill or a portion thereof and they take 10% of your adjusted gross income and then they do the mathematics and if you're above, in other words you're hurting, you will get dollar for dollar, mind you, up to the max of, like you said, about $1,100 I guess it is. Haven't looked at it since my mother's been gone for years. But thank you for bringing that up. Also, what you feel to mention was, it not only applies to people who pay real estate taxes and houses that they live in, it also applies to renters, which I was surprised to read in the law, unless the law has changed since 12 years ago. However, in Andrew's gut opinion, there's only one surefire way to help the unoccupied people that live in their houses in Medford is to adopt the Commonwealth of Massachusetts owner-occupied real estate tax exemption. And it's called, if you want to look it up, Chapter 59, Section 5C. And in my estimation, the average owner, average I'm saying, would save about $2,000 a year off their real estate tax bill. I've been asking for nine and a half years. It will be done someday. I may not see it. And if it's, if it's done, it's in perpetuity. Name and address the record. William Navarre, 108 Medford Street, apartment 1B. <clears throat> I heard some mention of the Laffer curve which is the name of the curve that uh, you can reduce the tax rate, you'll have more economic activity going on and then your revenue will go up. That's called the Laffer Curve. It was put forth during the Reagan administration and um, there's been some debate on whether or not it's true uh, in the uh, federal tax regime that we have and so the economists go back and forth on that. Uh, but I could, I, could probably, I could probably invite the council to guess one area where we're very certain the Laffer Curve does not apply and that would be land. Uh, Will Rogers said, buy land, they ain't making any more of it. Well, the fact is, if you raise the tax on land, nobody's going to destroy it either in order to avoid having to pay the tax. You have a nice building, somebody jacks up the tax rate, maybe you'll pull the building down, you won't have to pay the tax no more. You can't pull the land down. You can't build land, you can't create it. It's impossible for the owner to create or destroy to affect the amount they're paying. So if you shift the tax to land, it would be very similar that people make the place better, they'll build more buildings. Medford will be a better place to live, the land will become more valuable, you can tax it more. Um, the Laffer curve cannot possibly apply to land because it's perfectly inelastic good. 
Um, it cannot be created or destroyed by us beer mortals. It was created by nature, and we're kind of stuck with the amount we have. So that's, that's one reason you should tax land. No laugher curve. Thanks. Thank you. Name and address for the record. Jean Nuzzo, 35 Power Street. So I'm going to give you guys an analogy, and I think this is a great idea, but it's the equivalent of putting a bucket under a flood. When you have a deluge of water, you want to turn off the source or turn down the source to help alleviate what the issue is. We continue to look at, and it's admirable for the short term, but it doesn't resolve the issue for the long term. And what it does is turn our government into a bank. So we're saying to people, if you owe money and you can't pay it, we'll alleviate that debt temporarily by way of deferment and charge you 5% interest or 8% interest. And so now we're a bank as well. When, if we look at how we are planning our city and assure that we are doing things to increase our commercial tax base, what we are doing are, is creating new revenues of income stream so that we don't have to continue to increase real estate. And I strongly object to the idea that we should tax land so that it's more valuable because increasing the value of real estate is everything that is wrong with the housing market and is the core problem of why housing is so unaffordable because it's become an investment opportunity and ceased to be a place where people live. If you look back in years past, when real estate was divided between commercial, which was investment opportunity, and residential, which was a place where you lived, housing was not inflated the way it is now. So I would caution you that when we talk about these academic things, you should look at how things have come to pass. And inflating the cost of land does nothing to help keep elderly people in their home, or marginalize people in their home, or allow for opportunities to people to be able to afford a piece of property or an apartment or a condo if they so choose to purchase into that American dream. Uh, so, with that said, I would, you know, laud the fact that we're looking at these things, but we really should be thinking about the source too, and it starts with really good and solid urban planning that takes into consideration those multiple avenues that afford us the opportunity to balance for our residents their real estate tax. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to be quick. Please. 108 Medford Street, uh, apartment 1B. I wanted to clarify uh, because uh, that was a great point and I'm really excited to hear it. Uh, there's a slight difference uh, when we talk about land between price and value because um, the uh, price of a land is the, uh, uh, it, 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 we want that to be low, because the price represents the, um, sorry, capitalized value of the residual. That is, the rent of the land minus the tax gets capitalized into a price, all right? So the, um, the, the price of the land refers to that. The value of land actually refers to the rent of the land. And that is, that, is the, that is the difference. How productive the land is, how useful it is, how much of a blessing it is to whoever gets to occupy it. That's different from the price of the land, which represents the value that, the, um, th that if you were to sell it today, sell the right to uh, that, that land into perpetuity. 
That's the piece you're investing on. And actually, I, I totally agree. The, the, you do not want to increase the price of the land. Increasing the sale price of the land is the exact opposite of what a land value tax does. And, and is the exact opposite of what real estate taxes do. We know that. If you raise any, any of the taxes on the real estate, on the land, whatever, the price goes down. We want the price to go down. That's distinct from what we mean when we say the value goes up. Those are two different ideas. Because value is based on location. If you make the location better, the value goes up. But the price doesn't have to if the taxes also go up. Thank you. So we have two papers before us right now. Robert Penta, Zero Summit Road, Medford, Mass. I'm, I'm, I'm really getting confused on this whole issue right now because <laughs> I thought. I, I, and I think, honestly, I think at this point, I thought it's it best to move it to Committee the Hall and discuss but it because. Let me just ask this. Let me ask this one question. Okay. Well, and, and to me, this is where I would be going with it. I'm trying to understand. You're telling me that don't raise the value of land. And if you don't raise the value of land, you'll have a better neighborhood or, or a better atmosphere, so to speak. So with that being taken, taking place, what you're saying is that ignore zoning because zoning is a big reason why land values go up. And if you're going to take out the free competitive spirit of somebody buying a piece of property and doing what he wants, by ignoring the zoning laws that absolutely exist at the present time, whether it be for a chapter 40B or affordable zoning, that flies in the face of what the petition is all about. And I think what Dr. Storello is basically trying to say, all you're doing is moving the debt from today till tomorrow. And when tomorrow comes, whether it's two today or 10 or 12 or 14, what are you dealing with? Somebody's going to wind up paying for it, but in the meantime, it's a cost factor that's being reflected upon everyday taxpayer. So when somebody says that the value of land, don't put it on the value of land, that seems to be the intrinsic value of how developers seem to come into a community, see the value. They don't care about the location. They don't care about what the density is going to do with it. And it's your zoning that's going to predicate the value of land and its use of land and neighborhoods. That's how I read what Council Merrill just offered. Thank you. Thank you. So we have two papers before us. The uh, B paper, uh, uh, please have the clerk read the B paper back. The B paper as I have it is when the council, when the council stays with the current cap or sets a new cap, uh, that the city include a copy of this notice the next time property tax bills are sent out. So on the motion of Councilor Morell, seconded by. Second. Councilor Caviello, all those in favor? Aye. All those opposed, the motion passes. On the main paper, that this uh, issue be moved to uh, Committee of the Whole uh, to be scheduled hopefully in the February-March timeframe. Offered by Councilor Morell, seconded by? Second. Councilor Caviello, all those in favor? All those opposed? The issue will be moved to Committee of the Whole. Two zero zero four three offered by Councilor Marks. Be it resolved that the parking revenue generated and promised for business district uh, district improvements be discussed. Councilor Marks. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. Um, I hate to say it, but here we go again. Uh, this was a, a promise that was made uh, back in two thousand and fourteen when then Mayor uh, McGlynn signed the uh, parking 
contract uh, enforcement uh, with Republic Parking. And at the time uh, when they were rolling out this program, because uh, it was considered to be um, somewhat detrimental to the business districts uh, because of uh, the new parking regulations and could have possible impact to business and so forth and uh, could possibly deter people from using our business districts. At the time, uh, Mayor McGlynn offered, and I sat on the committee, the Parking Enforcement Committee at the time, uh, offered an olive branch uh, to the Chamber of Commerce saying, saying that uh, $250,000 would be used uh, from the enforcement money received, and that would be $50,000 for each of the five business districts. That's where it came, all came out of. And over the last several years, I've brought this up a half a dozen times. So if you heard this once, you'll, you'll hear it again and again, uh, questioning where is this money, where is it sitting, how come it hasn't been uh, allocated uh, to the different uh, business districts. I know many of them, such as Method Square, Salem Street Business Association, West Method Business Association, have met with their membership, have discussed uh, improvements they'd like to see in the neighborhood, have taken these improvements back to the city administration, and for the last five years, nothing has happened. So you can feel the sense of frustration, not only with the business owners, but us as a council, because I'm not the only one that has spoken about this, Mr. President. Um, so, you know, and over the last few years I've heard, well, that was a commitment by the former mayor, and it doesn't mean the next mayor would carry it out, or that was just a one-year commitment. Uh, so I've heard a lot of different scuttlebutt. And if you look at Method Patch, dated October 2014, the article is uh, New Parking Enforcement in Method, it states, Mayor Michael J. McGlynn signed the parking enforcement contract with Republic Parking System on Tuesday. The city of Method hopes the new enforcement will benefit the business districts. About $250,000 of revenue collected each year will go to improving the business districts. So that's one. That's the Method patch. So they must have heard it somewhere. City website. I assume someone from the city... Uh, type this in, uh, dated October, again, 2014, and it says Method signs parking enforcement contract. After deliberating and discussing concerns raised by the business community, Mayor McGlynn is recommending the following changes to the plan. I'm not going to read all the changes, but this is one of them, Mr. President. Recommended, 250000 of revenue generated on a yearly basis yearly basis to be dedicated to the business district improvements. So based on what Mayor McGlynn offered back in 2014, um, we're looking at, because this was the end of 2014, right now we're looking at five years of backlog. So that's a million two hundred and fifty thousand dollars that was promised to the business districts. They have yet to receive one red cent. And they've done a lot of work in their subcommittees putting together plans, Mr. President. So I bring this up tonight for a number of reasons. The fact that we have a new administration, and I believe uh, Mayor Lungo Kern uh, is fully on board with this, Mr. President. But I bring it up to revitalize this and to, to start the 
dialogue again with the Chamber of Commerce to get this going, Mr. President. You can go into any one of our business districts, and they need attention. They all need attention. And I'm not pointing the finger at anyone. They need attention, whether it's sidewalks, barrels, you name it, Mr. President, lighting, anything that would increase traffic, increase viability in the business districts. And the money was there. So tonight I'm asking, Mr. President, where is the money over the past five years? So Mayor McGlynn gave the commitment. I'm not sure because Mayor Burke never really gave a response when I asked this over the last four years, other than the fact that the business districts were working on a proposal. So at this point, I'd like to know where the money is sitting, Mr. President, and I would respectfully ask, under this new administration, Mayor Lungo Kern, that this money, Mr. President, as soon as the plans are presented, be given out. And if, even if we start off with the original commitment of 250000 and move forward, I think we'd all be fine with that. And I think the Chamber, I won't speak for them, I think they would be very happy to start that off, Mr. President. And like I said, they have plans. They did their homework. They know what improvements they'd like to see. Whether it's benches, there, there was a lot of things mentioned. Power washing sidewalks, putting new lighting, putting some decorations in certain areas. Um, so new sidewalks in areas that uh, could use it. So that's my resolution tonight, Mr. President. I know Mayor Lungo Kern's going to follow up with this, and I feel comfortable moving forward that that commitment that was made in 2014 to the business districts will be kept, Mr. President. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Marks. On the motion of Councilor Marks, seconded by Councilor Scarpelli. Councilor Carviello. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, I'm on board with Councilor Marks on this. Uh, uh, being on the, on the Chamber Board for many years, and uh, uh, I, I think I was, uh, I was on the board back then when this first came through. The, the chamber's more than done their homework. They they know where the money is needed. They've met. They've got their listen there. You give them you, you know you give them the money tomorrow. There, they know where to put it. So let's not uh, you know argue about where it's going. We, we they know where it's, where it needs to go. But um, you know I I recall the first two hundred fifty thousand didn't come from revenue of the parking meters. It, uh, then Mayor McGlynn took it out of a sale of real estate because that's why we got it right away, and it sat there and. And where did it go after that? Uh, I know Mayor Burke said it was, it was there. Uh, again, we have multiple accounts in the city, so it's sitting in our coffers somewhere. But uh, if we at least get the 250 out, uh, get them going and get it. Uh, the springtime, you know, the spring will be coming up. Let, let them go out and see what they want to do. So this way, when spring and summer goes, they're already in the, in the improvements will be uh, uh, all rolled up by then. So. Uh, Motion for approval on, on Thank you, Councilor Carviello. On the motion of Council Mark, seconded by Councilor Scarpelli. Roll call vote, Mr. A roll call vote has been requested. Clerk Hurtabies, please call the roll. Yes, seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative, the motion passes. 20-044 offered by Council on Night. Be it resolved that the Medford City Council wish Medford's 2019 Citizen of the Year, Rosemary Adagna, 
a very happy 80th birthday, Council Knight. Uh, Mr. President, I believe it was early in December that we were up here singing Rosemary praises for uh, her recent achievement being named Medford's 2000 Citizen of the Year, uh, 2019 Citizen of the Year, um, and as such, uh, just recently, uh, at the end of this uh, earlier this month, uh, she celebrated a very momentous birthday. Um, so it's been quite a year uh, for Rosemary. She became a citizen of the year and an octogenarian. Um, I'd like to wish her a very happy 80th birthday, and I ask my council colleagues to join her. Thank you, Council Knight. Council Carviello. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, again, uh, I want to wish Rosemary a happy 8th birthday. Uh, her and I are longtime friends, and I hope I have the amount of energy when I'm 80 that she has. <laughs> I mean, the, the woman's out there uh, volunteering and doing things like she's 50. So, again, uh, congratulations on her 80th birthday. Thank you, Council Carviello. On behalf of the City Council, uh, happy birthday to uh, Rosemary. Another motion to Council tonight, seconded by Council Scarpelli. All those in favor? Aye. All those opposed, the motion passes. 20-045, offered by Vice President Caviello, be it resolved that the Memphis City Council adopt an ordinance regulating donation collection bins. The purpose of this ordinance is to protect the public health, safety, and to address the donation collection bins within the City of Medford, and to provide regulations to ensure that donation collection bins are located and maintained so as to promote public safety, health, and welfare in a clean and safe condition. Be it further resolved that uh, the City of Medford established a permit and applicable fee for collection boxes. Councilor Carviello. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, this is something I brought up, uh, I think, uh, two weeks ago in regards to um, a couple of the boxes in the city that were uh, strewn with trash all around them. Um, I got a call from a gentleman from Planet Aid uh, explaining to me what, what happened and, um, and to get it cleaned up. But he had asked me um, why we don't have an ordinance in the city of Medford uh, in, in regards to regulating these boxes. And I, I didn't know. And um, he in turn sent me a couple of ordinances from different cities, and uh, and they were and they were pretty good. But what it does, well, what he explained to me is what's happening is uh, there's people that come out with boxes, and they just put them on people's property, and people don't know. A lot of people, they're absentee landlords or things. They don't know where they came from, and there's no uh, there's no identification where the boxes are. Uh, in fact, I didn't even, I didn't realize that Planet Aid. It's got six boxes in the city. I don't know, I don't know where they all are, but they're, they're, there's, there's boxes out there. There's boxes for books. There's boxes for a lot of things. But, but some of these, uh, these companies that, op that operate things are, are for profit. They're not all nonprofit organizations. And what also happens is now they're becoming garbage dumps. Because you know, people have a television. They don't want to spend the $25 to you know, get, the, get, the, the, to get the, the ticket, the waste manager to take it. Or there's just you know toys that they can't fit in the barrel, and and the, and the rubbish man won't take them. And all these these guys, these guys that own these bins, spending thousands and thousands of dollars to what started out as a good idea for donations, now they're becoming trash receptacles for people who have no way to, no way to go with their rubbish. So I, I asked that uh, the solicitor uh, adopt an ordinance, and I have a couple that I'll I'll forward to her. Uh, that I was that, that was given, and to, and to establish a permit and fee uh, process uh, for the city of Medford. So you want to you want to send this to the city solicitor then? I, I will send her a couple of the uh, ordinances that uh, he sent me from a couple of different cities. Okay. Thank you, Council Caviello. Council Knight. 
Uh, Mr. President, thank you very much. Um, Paper 17321 uh, was introduced in 2017 before the Council. It had gone through a subcommittee process and was uh, a paper that was reported out favorably by the subcommittee on ordinances, I do believe, and then was never scheduled for a Committee of the Whole. And um, that was a paper that was also designed to regulate drop boxes here in the community of Medford. Um, during the deliberations and discussions of this issue, um, one thing came up that was very important. Um, we have a textile recycling fundraising program at our um, elementary schools and our middle schools and uh, public um, facilities exemption was something that um, was very important at the time and I'm sure that still holds true. So moving forward, if we're going to um, regulate donation drop boxes by way of ordinance, um, I'd just like to request that um, school, school and city facilities be excluded from the ordinance. Thank you, Council Knight. Is that, uh, Council Knight, is that an amendment to the main paper? That would be an amendment to the main paper, Mr. Amendment. President. Yes. Councilor Beers. Uh, as someone who used textile recycling this week, I thank you, Councilor Knight. Um, and I also... Yeah, this, you know, I got it from the recycling. Um, uh, but um, much appreciated. Uh, I think this is an important issue, and I just wanted to make my own joke, which is I think it's always good when the person you're trying to regulate is asking for regulations. So I'm, I'm encouraged by this. Thank you, Councilor And my tie. <laughs> Thank you. Councilor Marks. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. This has been, uh, as Councilor Knight alluded to, uh, a long uh, ongoing issue in the community uh, regulating these drop boxes. I want to thank Councilor Caviello for doing the homework and research on it. Um, I think it's a magnificent idea. Uh, I would also recommend, in addition to what Councilor Knight mentioned about those amendments which uh, were a concern uh, because we don't want to impact uh, fundraising and so forth of uh, any type of uh, school facility or so forth. Um, but these boxes, at the very least, Mr. President, should have some type of ID tag on them. Who owns it? Who operates it? A contact number. There's nothing on these boxes at all. Point of information, Point of information, Councilor Caviello. That's what the ordinance says. Other cities require them to put a point of contact on them and get permission from the property owner to put this box on so, so, they, so you know that it's in the right spot. Thank you. Thank you. Council Marks. No, I, I was just wanted to make those points that at the very least, Mr. President, like I mentioned last time this was brought up, we, we regulate dumpsters. If you're doing some uh, home improvement and you want to get a dumpster, we not only regulate it, we charge you a fee, but someone can pop up a dumpster in any open lot outside. The one on the fells where I keep referring to because I drive by it all the time, there are five boxes out there now. It started with one medium-sized box. There's a large, giant box out there with four smaller ones. Looked like it had babies. Four, four smaller boxes now. And there's stuff all over the place out there. Uh, and people are constantly dropping things off. Constantly, you go out there, anytime there's always items out there. And it's a safety issue, Mr. President. What if, what if a little kid climbs in one of Absolutely. these boxes? You know, we, we have no way of getting in these. We have no way of, uh, no contact. We, we don't know who's operating them. It's a real safety concern. Absolutely. I want to thank Councilor Caviello. Thank you. So, Councilor Mox, are you offering that as an amendment, the uh, tags and the... I'll, I'll offer at the time of the committee meeting, so okay. no, no. No problem. On the motion of Councilor Caviello, seconded by Councilor Scarpelli, as amended by Councilor Knight. All those in favor? All those opposed? The motion passes.
20-046 offered by Councilor Beers and Councilor Morell be resolved that the issue of applications for new housing developments made under Chapter 40B be discussed. Thank you, Mr. President. Councilor Beers. Um, I, uh, Introduce this resolution with Councillor Morell um, because, as I think many people in the room, and it's already come up once tonight, but also many people across the city know, uh, there are now several applications under Chapter 40B for uh, large new housing developments. Um, there is the one on Mystic Valley Parkway. Uh, there's also one on the Fellsway, and now Combined Properties has uh, issued, uh, at least started the process uh, around Mystic Avenue. Um, these are, I mean, I think those add up to almost a thousand new units. It might even be more than that. I'll have to double check my math, but uh, obviously that's significant new development. Um, and it's happening under the state statute that limits uh, some of our ability to control development. Um, I think, as I've said many times to people, um, that all of this development should be community driven. We need to have community driven processes to make sure that development's happening the way that we want it to happen, not the way that developers want it to happen. But as I said, um, anything that's coming through 40B puts us in a much more difficult position to get that done. Um, we will need strong community and uh, administrative pushback, or at least you know, really a strong movement around these um, projects to see what we can do to make them fit into the community and in a reasonable way if possible um, and I think it just speaks uh, a couple things specifically on 40B that I want to get out there it really speaks to the need to get to safe harbor around this so that we can make sure that uh, developers are negotiating with the city and with the community um, and uh, also just speaks to the fact that uh, on any of these in any of these developments all of the affordable you know the defined affordable units need to be in perpetuity um, we need to make sure that those units are permanent um, to the best extent possible and I want to uh, turn it over to Councillor Morell um, who I believe spoke to the administration and has some updates as well Councillor Morell yeah thank you mr. president um, so yeah we introduced this because uh, I know I field already a lot of questions from residents about what voice uh, residents and the city has in this process process and we're in a somewhat unprecedented place with three applications um, at this time for 40B projects. So I did speak with the mayor about this and she informed me that she'll be engaging an expert um, to speak with department heads in City Hall um, on 40B within the next couple of weeks and that is something that counselors will be invited to. Um, so hopefully something we can report back out on. Um, and then I guess that uh, Mass Housing uh, will also provide a consultant so that's something else she may be pursuing. So just options to look at. So just the idea that when this is in place, after we've um, had these meetings, these briefings, um, having a public meeting or committee of the whole set to this so that we can have someone, a department head, someone from the building department who is up to speed on where we stand with all these applications and what power we have um, can present this out and provide a bit of a forum for people to ask questions about what this will look like going forward. Okay. Thank you, Councilor Morrell. Councilor Carviello. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, uh, over the weekend, uh, my, myself and Councilor Falco uh, took a workshop uh, in regards to some of these things. But uh, in talking to some people in regards to this, um, I'm led to believe that the city is able to go out and, and bring in an advocate, uh, similar to a project manager that we have a prescription. But um, this person here goes out and advocates for the city uh, uh, for the 40B projects. He and this person gets paid for by the developer. 
So I don't know if, if that's something that we've done or we in, uh, intend to do, but they say they're out there and um, uh, from what I'm told, these people are very successful. There's, a, there's uh, three or four different companies that go out there and uh, re really, really fight for the cities with, with 40B projects. And, and they do get results. So um, uh, if I can make it a, 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 a B paper, that the city uh, uh, check out this option of hiring the advocate that is paid, that is paid for by the developer. So, it, so we've got three projects going. I think we can get one, one, uh, one advocate to, to, to go out there and, and work for the city in all three. Thank you, Councilor Cariello. Name and address for the record, please. Uh, Bob Penta, Zero Summit Road, Medford, Mass. So this is going to reflect back on some of the comments that I made a, a little bit earlier. First of all, the city of Medford is a member of the Massachusetts uh, Municipal Association, and they have individuals who are very professional in the housing portion of, of what we're talking about here right now. Um, to go out and hire a private consultant that pushes and advocates for Chapter 40B, I, I don't think would be a very wise idea. And, uh, Oh, against the 40B. I thought you said, I'm, I'm sorry. Well, you may not have to do that because if the Office of Community Development gets itself redesigned, hopefully you would have somebody up there who would understand what the process is. You have to understand something. There's a difference between Chapter 40B, which does come under a few Massachusetts housing um, management company, uh, departments, as compared to affordable housing. Affordable housing is usually a private, but working with the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, who to some degree sets some standards up there as it relates to not only affordability, which has to be, but the permanent and perpetuity of having the, um, the reduced cost unit, whether it be the rental or whether it be the housing. Chapter 40B, is made for a private developer. He'll come in there and say, in the city of Medford, well, you've got to get between, uh, your income level has to be 80% of the medium income in the area that you're planning to put the housing in. And if that be the case, you know, we can do that. All right, we'll put 100 units up, 25, 20, 25, whatever the number's gonna turn out to be, will be affordable, and we'll just raise the cost in the other end of the units. So what did you wind up getting? You, you, really, didn't, you really didn't complete anything. Me personally, my suggestion would be that the city goes into a complete moratorium on any and all development to take place. Because you don't have anything right now. You have a Chapter 40B person who can come in, who just came in right now on Mystic Avenue, and will bypass your height restrictions and other zoning requirements, because that's what 40B is allowed to do if you read Chapter 69 of, of, of the... Um, of, uh, of chapter 40B, uh, chapter 29, excuse me, of chapter 40B, that's what they'll tell you. They can come in and they detour and they go around. And I know you guys, Councilor Knight and Councilor Scarpelli, have talked about over the last two or three years zoning. So maybe you should hire a zoning consultant right now to figure out how you bring up an update of a 40-year-old zoning that you have here in the city of Medford because every chapter 40B that comes in here will bypass upstairs and they'll get around it. And that's the privilege that you have for being a Chapter 40B participant, okay? So if you want to have a, theft, a Chapter 40B participant that works with the city, then that's what you need. You need to have someone who goes into the neighborhood and sees where the project is going and how is it going to enhance. It's not going to produce a, tent, a density buster. That's what you don't want, and that's what's happening right now. Density busting all over the city because private developers know how to do it. They're efficient at doing it, they make it sound good, and what do you have left? You have all these developments all over the place. Schools, police, fire, 
public works, infrastructure, water and sewer. It's all affected by this, all affected by this. And while it might sound good, that it looks good, that's what you're paying for in your taxes, for which our commercial tax rate can't even handle because it's only a 10%. So the burden, once again, is right back onto the residential taxpayer. I think it's a great idea to get into the discussion. But if you read this case after case after case where cities and towns are so sorry that they went into Chapter 40 because it did not turn out to be what it was supposed to be. And the fastest way to correct a Chapter 40B problem is to make sure that your zoning speaks for what you want today and for tomorrow. It's the financial viability of what a community has to deal with as it relates to a Chapter 40B. Not affordable housing, it's a Chapter 40B. They're in two entirely different requirements. Point of information, well, Mr. President. We have a number of point of informations here. Uh, no, that's right. Uh, Council Beers, you hit your microphone first, so you go first, and then Councilor Marks. Thank you, uh, Mr. President. Um, just a point of information, which is that even if we were to do a moratorium because of how Chapter 40B is written, these projects could move forward anyway. So, so that's the that's kind of the crux of the issue here. Is, is we need to that that if we did a moratorium, then and then we could still get 40B applications in that move through the process outside of our, our zoning and height and design restrictions and whatnot. So so that's part of the point is I think we need to get to that safe harbor point where 40B is not uh, the threat that it is right now. Well, Thank you, Councilor Beers. Councilor Marks. Uh, actually, Councilor Beers uh, just reiterated what I was okay. going to state. Um, I was wondering if uh, Councilor Penta was aware of any community that did have a moratorium that uh, a 40B project was not allowed at. Well, if you go to I'm the city of Somerville that just went through it for a year and a half, they stopped, they had a moratorium as it relates to that type of development that took place over there because of what was taking place so fast. And they that stopped a potential 40B project? They did nothing for that period of time as it relates to multi-use multi development. Multi but was there a 40B project offered during that period of time? To, to the best of my, uh, to moratorium, so that means you can't. Another no, point of information. I don't, I don't know if that's... Point of information, Councilor Beers. Somerville was at their 10% safe harbor threshold, so they couldn't get uh, 40B the way that we can being under that percentage. One of the things that a Chapter 40B does tell you, if they go before a Board of Appeals, if the Board of Appeals feels, and this is the term that they use, and it's not a friendly Chapter 40B, that's the term, friendly, they can shoot that down. Now, what determines to be friendly? It could be public health, it could be public safety. Those are the two biggest issues that you'd have going. Other than being in a residential neighborhood and making it high density, that's a subjective thought. That's, that's all I can tell you. But if you are going to hire somebody, or office community development is going to employ somebody, consultant or otherwise, that's the first thing I, I would address because you have such archaic laws up to us. You can go to the Board of Appeals right now and come in and make a proposal and you can't shoot it down because 40B will allow you to do it. It's an interesting concept and the city of Medford really needs to address it because, you know, you've gone at a, a, a fever pitch over the past many years with all kinds of development and there's no checks and balances to it. You know, and, and uh, 61 Locust Street is, is really the issue that should bring this all to a head. It should have brought it to a head then when they wanted to put 500 units there. Okay, and what did they do? The big developer went in there and bought out the neighborhood, bought out every single house in the neighborhood, and they reduced it to 345, which the Board of Appeals allowed, and it managed to put itself through. 
Point of information, Council on uh, Night. I think it's important to point out that this council sued the Board of Appeals relative to that decision that they made. We took this case to court and we lost. We were found to not have standing. I, I believe that, that the reason, I believe, Council, the reason why the city lost is because the neighborhood agreed to the reduction of 345 after they all got bought out. So the new uh, suit would, was completely moved at that point in time. Point of information, Council Knight. The Medford City Council filed, filed suit and was thrown out. And the land court judge had found the city um, legislative body had zero standing they to felt, appeal the issue. But they felt that it had zero standing, but also the then mayor at the time refused to give additional money to go forward with the case. We got thrown out. You could have appealed. We spent 60 grand to get it told we couldn't. We, we, got, we spent 60 grand to be told we didn't have standing. Correct. Then the question was, are we going to spend another 60 grand to be told that again? <laughs> but, but I, I, I rest my case. But, you know, I just wanted to point out the factual history of the process and what went down with Locust Street. Thank so, you, Council. Um, you know, we weren't sitting back on our hands saying, well, Locust Street's going on. That's not what happened. We sued the city. We sued the zoning. But I, I, also believe, Mr. I also believe, Mr. President, when you lost the issue on standing, it was, it was a moot issue because all the people, the residents, pushed back on the lawsuit because they all got bought out. So there was no, the standing for which the council had was not being supported by the neighborhood, which initiated the lawsuit in the first place. And the council got originally $20,000 in the beginning to get the case going. I do believe it was 40, Mr. President, and we weren't, co and we weren't, we weren't uh, you know, co-defendants or co-appellants. Co we were an individual entity that moved forward as a, in a silo, not with the neighborhood, not with anybody Correct. else, but yes. for in the best interest of the community. Thank you, Council Knight. Mr. Gassignetti, would you like to speak? Please come close to the microphone. I haven't decided yet. Okay. <laughs> haven't decided yet. Andrew, Cushion Street, Method, Mass. There's been some good points and concerns brought up with this Chapter 40B. If I remember correctly, one of my many jobs was 30 years ago about real estate. For the layman out there doesn't know what it is, correct me if I'm wrong, but the gist of it is in any city or town, specifically here, we're speaking of Medford, um, if, if, our rent, if our total housing stock is not at 10% or higher affordability, that a developer can come in from wherever, from the world, and buy a nice piece of valuable land and uh, pretty much do what they want or should I say circumvent the present zoning laws if there are any at that area. I believe it's something to that effect. Make sense? You are correct, sir. Correct. Thank you, Councilor Knight. So I want to say you ain't seen nothing yet. We're at a crossroads with this boom time, times during this, during this uh, election year. And, and, and if the, unless there's a major crash, whether it's a Dow Jones or, or real estate, we ain't seen nothing yet, if you think about it. Because we're not at the 10% threshold yet. So, and I used to live on Mystic Avenue as a youth, and that was a major highway to Boston, Route 38. And then in 1960, they built this Route 93 by eminent domain, they took property and schools, etc. So we have very valuable location. 
three to five miles north of Boston. So, also, it was mentioned about a months ago about an MAC, not a Big Mac, but Mystic Ave. Community. Mystic Ave Corridor, the Big Mac. Although no McDonald's is in Medford, Burger King's down there. But the point is, unless we get a handle on this, if it's possible to avoid this 40B being jammed down our throats with all this congestion we already have, without our, without our Orange Line subway behind you, we're going to be in deep stuff, man. So I'm not sure if you can do moratoriums or, or anything that's fancy with those 25-cent words, but chances are you can't if we're already in the 40B thing with the state. But Cavetum Tour, buyer beware. Thank be you. careful. Thank you, Mr. Cassignetti. Okay, on, the B, on the B paper offered by Council Carviello, Second by Council Light. All those in favor? Aye. All those opposed? The motion passes. On the main paper, offered by Councilors Beers and Council Morell. Seconded by Councilor Marks. All those in favor? Aye. All those opposed? The motion passes. What's the motion? 20-047, offered by Councilor Beers, be it resolved that the issue of funding for the City Council to hire additional legal services be discussed. Councilor Beers. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank um, you. So I think there's two issues here. One is, let me preface this. So the, the issue here is that the, the council should have the ability to have its own legal services um, for a variety of reasons. I think uh, in just permanently, I think it's important for the council to have that resource um, so that we can get legal opinions and have legal services independent of the executive branch of the, of the city administration. I think that will be always permanent. But also, I think uh, the current circumstances um, facing the city bring us to, I won't say a unique point, but kind of we're coming to a head with the amount of ordinances and, and uh, other work that we're going to need to do, especially as a council. Um, and also, we, uh, you know, the city solicitor is currently an acting city solicitor, so there is a process to hire a permanent city solicitor. Um, so I think there's both good reasons at all times why the council should have legal services and also very important reasons at this moment as to why the council should uh, have legal services. And um, my motion on the issue would be that we make sure to add it to the future agenda of our committee of the whole meeting with, uh, the, with the mayor, which I believe is forthcoming. Um, Correct. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Council Bears. So I'm meeting with uh, uh, Mayor Lungo Kern um, next Wednesday, and then I'll be scheduling scheduling a committee the whole soon after that to talk about all our priorities. And this is something that will be addressed as well. Great, and that's great. Thank you. Uh, thank you for bringing this forward, Council Knight. Uh, Mr. President, I support the resolution wholeheartedly. I do think it's important to point out that um, if the council does have, in fact, legal counsel. Uh, to provide it with legal opinions. Um, the legal opinions relative to ethics and the like would have to come from statutorily the city solicitor's office. We can't have our own counsel giving us opinions uh, related to that. But we can use this person for the very important job of drafting framework ordinances, Mr. President. That's something we need. Mm -hmm. um, it's something, you know, just 
just in the very short time that we've been meeting as a council. Um, we've taken, you know, several old resolutions that have uh, been filed that we've been asking for draft ordinances to be put together on that have been two and three and four years um, in the making, not because the city solicitor wasn't able to do it um, Capability-wise, it was because he has to run the everyday operations of oh, an yeah. entire city, um, as well as you know, adhere to the request that this body makes. Um, so, with that being said, I think that this is a step in the right direction. It was um, my number two priority, Mr. President. When we talked about council priorities. Number one, improving the way we deliver services here in this community, making sure that you're when you pick up the phone and call because your trash barrel wasn't picked up, that someone comes and picks it up for you. When you say there's a pothole in front of your house, it gets fixed. When your sidewalk needs to be repaired, it gets done. Number one priority, service delivery and improving the way we do it. Number two priority, getting council for the Medford City Council so that we can put out a better work product and a faster pace, Mr. President. Thank you, Council Knight. Well said. Name and address for the record. John Sorrell on Metcalf Street. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. Uh, this is another example of uh, an increase in taxes, which we don't really need. I mean, here we are, we've taken on additional, po we already have a solicitor. Point of information, Council on Knight. Do need this. We do really need this. It's not something that we don't really need, Mr. Streller. It's something that we do really need. Um, we you know, when you're looking at the number of um, draft ordinances that we've requested just since this body's met this term, we're looking at nine. Nine draft ordinances. That's more, nine, nine, draft, nine ordinances is more of a work product we put out in a term and I can't tell you in how long. Um, if we get those draft ordinances produced to us, I guarantee you we're going to put out a stronger work product than we have in the past. If we have some council that's working for us, dedicated X amount of hours a week putting those work products out, I guarantee you we're going to do more work than we've done in the past. You are correct. Please get in to In all the history of Medford, we've never had legal counsel for the, uh, for the city council. And we already have a city solicitor. He represents also the council, you know. He doesn't work for the mayor. He works for the people and he works for the whole administration. Another thing, this is presented and no cost amount is placed on it. We don't know what this will cost. <coughs> we ought to research that first. Point but I don't think it's needed because we already have a city solicitor. Point of information, Council Knight. I think if you look at the ordinances before you, it says that the issue of funding for the city council to hire an additional legal services line item be discussed. Now, I think it's also important to point out, Mr. President, that Mayor Burke, during this fiscal year, has already committed to us $40,000 for professional and legal services in the form of a zoning consultant. That money's never actually been transferred into our line item for professional legal services in the City Council's budget, in the budget of the legislative. Um, it sits in a revolving fund um, for special services that lays in the assessor's and the auditor's office. Um, so with that being said, you know, we already have funds that are available to us that have been committed to us and have been budgeted to us for the purposes of legal or professional technical services, Mr. President. I think what we're looking at doing is um, figuring out a way that we can best capture these funds and start utilizing them so that we can put out a stronger work product. Thank you, Council Knight. Please continue, Mr. Strong. Yes, uh, I'll end with this here. In my opinion, this is another example of why taxes are increased needlessly. Thank you. On the motion of Councilor Baer, seconded by Councilor Knight, You're referring it to the committee, the whole meeting that's coming up? Yes, okay. So on the motion of Council Beer, seconded by Council Knight, to refer this to the committee, the whole meeting with Mayor Longo Kern. All those in favor? All those opposed? The motion passes. On the motion of Council Scarpelli, seconded by Council Caviello, that we take papers uh, under suspension. All those in favor? All those opposed? The motion passes. 
20-049 offered by Council tonight be a resolve that the Medford City Council request the City Administration take the necessary steps to rectify the drainage issue currently present in front of Amici's Pizzeria in West Medford Square. Council tonight. Uh, Mr. President, thank you very much. Um, everybody that knows me knows I love my Amici's. Uh, you know, probably once a week at least I go down to Amici's and get the couple slices of pizza before I make my way up here to the City Council meeting. I'll get uh, two slices of cheese with that uh, great, uh, you know, sauce-cheese ratio and the, the great flop that they have down there at Amici's, Mr. President. But a couple weeks ago when I was getting out of my car to pick up my dinner before I came to the Council meeting, I noticed that uh, the drainage issue right in front of Amici's um, Recently, they had a complete streets program down there, and they did a bump out in the curb right um, where Amici's and Paul Revere's is. And um, that bumped out, but the gradient isn't uh, conducive to proper drainage. So what's going on, Mr. President, is the water's pooling, and it's becoming, you know, at least five, six, seven inches deep in some points, um, which renders that parking spot useless. And that's the parking spot that sits right out in front of, you know, four businesses that uh, specialize in takeout food, um, Hong Kong Village, CB Scoops, Amici's and Paul Revere's. Um, so with that being said, Mr. President, it's having a negative impact on the uh, businesses that work down, that, that are operating down in West Memphis Square. Also, when um, they did this complete streets project and they did put the bump out in, they took away a parking spot and a half. Um, so to add, you know, insult to injury, um, on top of losing a parking spot, now there's another parking spot there that is virtually useless to the business district um, in times of inclement weather. So I'm asking that the engineering department take the appropriate steps um, to hold the contractor accountable that did the work and uh, get them back out there to fix it so that uh, the fine people that are trying to get a nice slice of pizza down there in West Memphis Square are able to do so, Mr. President. Thank you, Councilor Knight. On the motion of Councilor Knight, seconded by Councilor Cariello. All those in favor? All those opposed? The motion passes. Records. The records of the meeting of January 21st, 2020 were passed to Councillor Morell. Councillor Morell, how did you find those records? I found them to be excellent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Councillor Morell has found that those records are in excellent order and ready and uh, moves for approval. Seconded by Councillor Carviello. All those in favor? All those opposed? The motion passes and the records are. Adopted. On the motion of Councilor Beer, seconded by Councilor Knight, that the meeting be adjourned. All those in favor, all those opposed, meeting adjourned.